welcome to Conversations. As always, find me on Twitter at Conversations. One word, capital D. So there are a couple of headlines and also just lots of ongoing conversations Twitter and other places about basically not for any truly legitimate reasons. And of course, I think if you look at some of the stuff that Harvard's done to him, some people are continuing to bring up there's a lot of hypocrisy about them not admitting students were also subordinate. three years ago on a private document before the Park Bin shooting. And you have to think about the fact that it wouldn't have been an issue if he had been on the hard political left side of the aisle. He apparently used the uh, word and a few others, but he was doing it for shock, he said for shock value, which I think a lot of us who've ever been 16 year old men or women or pick your gender can probably relate to. I think most of us when we were high schoolers, we do look back and we're like, there were a number of different really stupid things that we said that we look back on with genuine regret and we moved them and our behavior or the way that we talk or interact is different now. And most people, most reasonable people, are into second, third, any number of chances when someone shows that they are genuinely trying to not engage in a dumb or potentially corrosive behavior. But that's not what happened here.
if I were uh, a college who heard about this, I would be tempted to send him off as a free admission. I know he wanted to go to law school. There are other law schools. Maybe not as quote-unquote prestigious as Harvard. Or, but there are schools out there, so seems kind of silly that you would kick a student out for something like that. It just goes to show that there's a lot of hypocritical double standard bias. Um, everybody has some to some extent. Sometimes we're not aware of it. And it's true, I think, to some extent that it's on a scale. Some double, double standard hypocrisy can more degrading or da dangerous than other forms, I think. may not entirely be true, but we'll get to that in a second. And so, also, I wanted to, as a transition, talk about if you guys, anyone who listens, kind of follows Steven Crowder, have checked out his, one of his latest videos where he went to the Google office there in Texas, near where I assume he lives or something, and uh, talked about how hate speech isn't real as far as the, as it being a, a legally binding and specific term. Now, Again, this is where I don't necessarily like to go back and repeat myself, but there's a difference between offensive and hurtful speech and what I would term as hate speech, which is when you are actively encouraging or speaking against a particular person or group in a way that could actually harm them. By harm them, I mean uh, things like that could actually put them in physical danger, like doxing them, stalking them. themselves or whatever, things that those aren't behaviors anybody should be encouraging. The fact that some people who follow popular figures might suggest it or say something like that or actually go and do it, again, this is logic. This is because people who support somewhat mainstream voices like Crowder or Shapiro or anyone else does not necessarily mean that person would ever 
encourage, suggest, suggest, or approve of those actions. I mean, we've had people talk about the fact that somebody And honestly, I mean, somebody tell me the last time. I mean, show me, send me the link to the article or video of the last time a, a, a left-leaning speaker was assaulted on campus or that a student was assaulted on campus or was banned from speaking on campus because their views were too too ridiculous or unsafe or whatever. And again, I'm going to go back to this again as a fact. If you're going, if you want a safe space, you don't, I don't know why anyone would go out into the world to a secular college where you're supposed to actually learn things and maybe have your mind expanded, but actually go would, if you want a safe space college is supposed to challenge you, it's not supposed to coddle up to you and reaffirm your predisposed worldviews. it's supposed to teach about how to engage with others who these might be different than yours. But then again, like I said before, we've lost any, I, I think we've lost a lot of the idea of how uh, respectful dialogue or debate in the public forum about any number of issues is supposed to. We've lost the desire or will for both to engage in that format. And this idea of saying others' views are less moral or completely invalid because they disagree with you, that's not really, that's not how you engage in a conversation. That's, if anything, that is what is gonna, that's what's degrading the, the ability to have a conversation in this country. That's probably what, that's what's fueling all the continual digression or the dissection all these little groups that hate each other because none of them will talk to each other in a rational and respectful manner. Because a lot of people are telling us that we shouldn't have to. That's not true. You need you need all kinds of people to engage with, even if you disagree with them. It's just the way it is. It's not anything that's super complicated. To move on. As many of you are fully aware, last weekend was Father's Day. And I get it. For some of you, that's 
some of us that uh, they we don't actually really feel like voting. Not all of us were fortunate enough to have a good father example involved in the picture or even in the picture. But there also seems to be a cultural thing, a predisposition, if you will, the idea of being male, boy, or man, or father, is getting systematically redefined and destroyed by this, by concerted effort between the gender confusionists and the female activists. I get that some people may be offended by those terms. It's also getting destroyed by the continual approval of abortion. And I saw this, I've seen a, a, a bunch of people saw the advertisement of a dad with a ridiculous. But you know what? Here's the thing. Both parenting levels are things that are worthy of respect and admiration because they're challenging. They force us to Mother's or Father's Day when there's no children. For all you people who want to argue for abortion, just bear that in mind. that you're adults, you and your whoever is the other party responsible for the infant can celebrate your parent to parent. If you abort that fetus, that child, celebrated as a parent, you gotta have a kid.
fact, the only logical conclusion I can come to with abortion. The truth is, we really need guys, we need men involved in the picture. I mean, if you think about it, being a father figure is a pretty important role. If you want to look at it from the scriptural point of view, or a more personal point of view, there's some good resources out there. There's a couple books by Sue Weber, who's a higher up one. There's a, um, I believe, a, I believe the, the book is called Gender Warrior. That's a good one. Scripture, if you are a believer, you can see that God gave men a special shot of responsibility to instruct and help others around him to learn about God and God's uh, selfish purposes in his ways. That's a quote from Blackie. And here's where I laid it. I, I come down on it. You know, some of us aren't dads yet, or because we haven't got married, or we haven't got, we haven't had kids yet, or. But just because we're not all technically biological fathers doesn't necessarily mean we have to be on the bench about this idea of fatherhood. We're all. We all have a responsibility, a calling, if you will, to share with, to share in counsel and work together as men with the men and women that we come into contact with. I really like Sue Weber's book because it has a bunch of great material in it. She has a quote in it that says this, quote, Manliness, real, God-made, down in the bedrock masculinity, is something men in our culture are scrambling to understand. Tough, tender, strong, sensitive, fierce, friendly, which is it? We're frustrated, often confused, and sometimes irritable, but determined. Determined discover our manhood and live it to the hilt. Bath and word. Basically live it to the fullest would be another way to say that. To do that we need to look the cultural confusion straight in the eye. We need to look up at ourselves and face a few things. We need to sort through the relays oh, that's wrong. We need to sort through what really matters in life and go fishing around, or in my I face toe-to-toe, -to -toe with some tough issues. 
then he talks about how there's four. He does three, three or four sets of four things: the the directions on a compass, the seasons of the year, elements of the planet, and then he talks about what he calls four rhythms of men: a king, a warrior, a mentor, and a friend. And he talks about them being undergirding life rhythms that throb in the veins of every male child, piping a four-part cadence to which every man must march if he chooses to complete, be a complete man. Always intermingled, never exclusive, providing the primary colors of the masculine rainbow from which all others are in hue. Blending perfectly with one another, they reflect the light of God in whose image men are made. To the degree that there's balance, the image is clearer, and the man and those around him flourish. To the degree they are abased and abused, the image is distorted, the man withers, and those around him experience pain. This is some really good stuff. And then, of course, the whole point of what is reveals your nature as a person is going to be a crisis. If you want to see where the aspects of your nature as a man or woman is at, and if you're not sure that you're living in the balance of the scriptural call, How you handle crisis is going to go a long way towards showing each of us where the weaknesses are. Now, here are some of my notes that I have. Like I said, I don't believe it's a coincidence that there is a Father's Day on the calendar. Granted, each one of us came from a different background. A day of celebration, but also a day for some of us that's painful and possibly bitter because of our upbringing. And some of us didn't have a good quote-unquote father figure in our lives. Others of us who might be brothers, fathers, or uncles would admit we've not been the examples we'd like to be. The question to ask is, are we as men going to settle for good enough? And that's in quote-unquote. If you think about it, what does it mean? What does it take be a quote-unquote man's man. Not just a quote-unquote man's man, but a godly man. I don't have time, and you're probably not interested, because otherwise you'll be listening to this a long time. For a full list, I want to touch down several aspects, characteristics of what I consider to be a manly man. Um, first of which is integrity. 
integrity needs to be trustworthy and truthful, but also requires humility. Along with integrity is compassion. Compassion is to provide both strength and sensitivity. We also need a perseverance and patience, not giving up because of difficulty. Being patient and persevering requires a lot of dedication and grace. Grace is not based on what's quote-unquote deserved, but rather what we're given despite what we deserve. As much as we'd like to, you really don't really get a day off. Not if you're really going to be there. So, perseverance and patience are critical. Another important characteristic, admonishing. This is teaching, training, and encouraging those to be around you to be all that they are capable of being in light of, in this case, what I wrote was out of what I've studied from scripture, because I do a lot of scripture studies. And then there's also just being quote-unquote there. That, I think that's important for, for anyone who wants to be in relationship with somebody, but especially for, for, for dads and moms. Being available, interruptible, because it makes a huge impact. It says, quote, you're as more, as, slash, more important as what I'm currently doing, unquote. There's a difference between availability, I'm here, and interruptibility, going out of our way. Also, another important thing, being helpful, not just out of obligation, because you have to, but out of opportunity, because I want to. We desire to. Lastly, it is all relational. While some of our roles in life never stop, some of them do change. Those of us who are men are sons who may someday be fathers and brothers who may someday be uncles. And here's where it gets offensive, and I've kind of talked about this a little bit. But I believe there's two reasons that there's an epidemic of quote-unquote fatherless today. Um, there's probably more than two, but I want to deal with two specifically. Apathy and pride. Honestly, I think we underestimate severely our influence in others' lives that we have a tendency to become apathetic and stop trying because our natural tendencies are either to abdicate or abuse our responsibilities. We see abdication when there is over-delegation and out-of-place priorities. Neglect is another form of abdication. Let me also point out something I've termed the pendulum swing. I'll have to post a uh, picture of it with the podcast, so be on, on the lookout for that. The simple way to explain it is that our ten 
tendency is to overreact and overcompensate for being wrong or incorrect about something and wanting to correct it. We end up swinging past the center of balance to the extreme opposite side of the original issue, which is more than often just as wrong a place to land. It should be our desire to want to make adjustments when we find something we're not doing maybe as well as we could. But we need to be careful not to make a mountain out of a molehill and vice versa. The goal should be not to necessarily overcorrect, but to maybe step back and anal analyze and think through. So that way you don't have that severe pendulum swing that's incorrect to the one side. You have kind of a, a, a moderate swing. It's, it's, it's about learning to think critically and to make, not to make adjustments out of impulse or, you know, just use our brains, people. Here's a big one. I think many of us, and this doesn't exclude myself, we're, su we're guilty of suffering for good enough. We don't admit to needing help. That's, as a guy, that's kind of something that I think that has typically been hard for men. We have a bit of a pride issue. We don't necessarily like admitting to needing assistance. We want to, that's a, a macho man complex. We don't until after we come to the point of, you know, sometimes making things worse than if we had just asked for help in the first place. And sometimes that, that pride will cause us to blame anything or anyone else instead of admitting the fault. Or sometimes we go into comparison mode. We say, I'm doing as good as somebody else, or better than somebody else, and that's just wrong. And again, to reiterate, those of us who are men who are not married yet, or who are Those of us who are single aren't off the hook for being a good male role model. We have a critical role to play that's more important than if we weren't single. As single men, we have the freedom to invest our time differently. And in scripture, God calls us to be the example where none is present. I like to term that as quote-unquote filling in the gap. That could be loving on mom, loving on kids with single moms, or loving on kids from broken homes, you know, being a mentor, or 
not that difficult to get. And we really need to. And then I just have a bunch of things to look at. And then I boiled it down to what I call five characteristics or traits of a good leader. A good model. The first one is committed. It means that we take the, seriously the responsibilities of teaching, training, and learning from those who are in our immediate circle of influence, adopting the viewpoint of showing them Christ as our primary job and saying no to things that interfere with that responsibility. The second is being connected. Not just knowing about them, but knowing them. Aspiration and fear. Caring for them. If, if you're a believer or Christian or even a non-believer, if you want to, you can pray for them. Or pray with them. And being available. Um, this one might be a little bit on the edge for some people because charismatic is one of those things where even I can take issue because there's a good charismatic and a bad charismatic. There's a charismatic that can re receive and there's a charismatic of being genuine, uh, which they, someone who's charismatic will communicate well, uh, they stay focused, they're fun and engaging, honest and gracious, and they're intentional. Another one is challenging. We don't necessarily avoid conflict, <coughs> but we're not necessarily called to initiate it. So they're learning to balance things. We do our best to help people figure out how to apply what they're learning or to apply what we're learning. Um, I think a good leader is not afraid of of quiet. And they allow themselves to maybe be spiritually challenged. Which we will talk about this like I'll talk about this in the Krishna case, so and then I see compassion. Again that's the first one on that list as a as a as a biblical reference would be prayer for each person. Genuine caring what's going on in people's lives. And they can take time for people outside of other things on their schedule. So there's
a model as a man is an important role. We cannot afford in this culture to have any confusion, obfuscation, or destruction when it comes to understanding Embracing our natural world the way that God designed things. 